You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. If you will stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's word. We're here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. We'll go down to uh, verse 41. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now here's what we want to see happen. Not just today in our midst, but across our country and around this world. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And in the original language, it can also be translated punctured to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words. By the way, this just means he preached longer than what we have recorded here. Just want you to know that. With many other words. One of my favorite little passages here in Acts. He bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about three thousand souls let's pray lord we believe that every person in this room has a soul we believe that every human being made in the imago day in the image of god has a soul and we want to see those souls touched by gospel grace and turned from sin and god we pray that you'll begin that sort of work here in our midst and we pray this in jesus name amen be seated Words like punctured, saved, these are strong words that point to violent action. When we think about that word punctured, what comes to mind would be an arrow, a spear, or even a bullet into the flesh. When we use the word saved, though I know we use that in the church so often, I want you to realize that that word is quite radical. If I use that word in the context of rescuing one who is in danger, like an emergency surgery performed by a doctor or a first responder pulling someone out of a burning house or out of a flooded stream, that word saved has action to it. When we talk about someone being saved from great peril, that gets our attention. When we hear the word saved in the biblical text, we have it here in verse 40, we need to realize that we have a very, very strong action that only God can do, saving us. But it's interesting to me that before we get to verse 40, and it talks about people being saved, there's the word punctured, or as the English Standard Version puts it, cut to the heart. Both translations are perfectly adequate. They both represent the Greek very well. But when I began to think about cut to the heart, though that gave me an image that was helpful, what I began to feel in my heart as I saw the range of meaning of this word, I felt the Spirit saying to me, our people today, not just outside of the church, but in the church, they need more than to just be cut. They need to be punctured. 
We need to feel a deep wound so that we can change, that we can turn around. And when we begin to feel the power of God, when he begins to convict, when he begins to turn things around, what he does is begin to develop a new spirit-restored community. One New Testament scholar says that's what we see happening here in the book of Acts, is we see a new spirit-restored community taking place. We can gather in a building. We can come together like this and all be in close proximity together. We can call this fellowship and we can call this worship. But what we need is a restored, spirit-filled community. We need to be more than just together in the same place. We need to be unified in the power of the Holy Spirit. But before that's going to happen, the gospel is going to have to puncture deep. The gospel is meant to shake the world up, but I've got news for you. Before the gospel is going to shake up the world, it's got to shake up our world. You and I need to have a shaking, an awakening. We need to be more than just present. It's not enough to show up and and be counted. I think we need to show up and expect God to do something great in our midst. Many of those, I believe, and I am concerned about this, who have, it's been a long time since they have felt the puncture of guilt and the joy of salvation. It is interesting to me how so many of us are so calm and so ordinary and so lifeless when it comes to our faith. Now you've heard that it's a, it's a worn out analogy, but everybody gets excited at our kids' ball games. Uh, you know, there was this Super Bowl thing that happened a couple weeks ago. I think a couple of us got excited about that because our team won. All that's fine. So don't tell me that being excitable. You know, we come to church and we're like, well, you know, that's just not how I am. <clears throat> I'm sophisticated, you know. It's like, no, man, I saw you yelling at the ball game. Come on. Come on, you're just a regular Joe. I'm a regular Joe, but I want to tell you, we serve something more than a regular Jesus. And it seems to me that many times when it comes to how we approach our faith, this is the one place where we feel like we need to, you know, put it on the back burner, take it easy, be calm. I'm not so sure it's not the devil telling us that. Why does salvation start with a bang for so many of us and then quickly shift to a simmer and then a fizzle? And what will it take to get the church on fire again? You know, revival really isn't any more than that. It's just the church being on fire again. And when we come to these words, as we get to the end of Peter's sermon, as we see him close it up here, we see conviction on the, the part of those who are hearing. They are convicted as it relates to sin. And I want to tell you that when God really is about to do something big, when we talk about revival, one of the first signs of revival is that the church is convicted of sin. That we are asking God to put us in a place where we can grow in holiness. Somebody said, I don't know who said it long ago, but it seems like modern people have forgotten how to blush. In other words, we're not even ashamed of our sins anymore. Like me talking about you being ashamed of sin, you're like, well, that's got to be for somebody else. No, it's for you. You have sin in your heart. There's sin in your life. There are things where you have fallen short of the glory of God. The reason I know that's true is because you're human. And that doesn't mean that you're uh, wicked bad or anything like that. It just means you're human. But we have to come to the Lord and we have to make sure that it's the Lord who's convicting us. I believe that God, if we will open our hearts, he will show us where we're wrong. I learned a long time ago, I can't convict anybody of anything, but the Spirit sure can. And we need people convicted by the gospel. We need people 
who have their hearts changed? When was the last time the gospel convicted your heart? When was the last time? Now, I want you to really, this is not just a rhetorical question that I want to brush by. I want you to ask yourself this question. When was the last time that you felt the heaviness of spiritual conviction? Because I've got news for you, my Baptist brothers and sisters. Conviction is not just for the day of your salvation. Conviction by the gospel ought to be every day. We preach the gospel to ourselves every day. It should convict us every day of two things. How great he is, how sinful I am. We can never get away from conviction. In my view, we go far too long between punctures. We see hearts punctured, cut in this passage. And many of us, we go back to a moment, a profession of faith when we felt the Lord move. Maybe that is a good word for you. I don't know. God may put a different word in your mouth or in your mind. But here's the deal. At some point and in some way, you were convicted. You were convicted deeply. You were punctured by the gospel truth. How long has it been since you have felt that? I've got some good news for you. The, if you're here today and you're sin-free, you're off the hook. <laughs> but the rest of us, we need to listen carefully. And we need to ask God to puncture our hearts. Why? Because we serve a Savior who was pierced for our sins. Look at verse 36. This idea of puncturing is not just about the human side of the equation. If you look at verse 36, which we've quoted several times, I know we did last week anyway, notice this. All the house of Israel needed to remember that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus, and then the qualifier, whom you crucified. Not only did God send his only begotten son, but he was pierced for our transgressions. When we begin to think about what it means to have our hearts changed, we need to realize that before our hearts are punctured, we must remember that Jesus' flesh was punctured by the nails, by the spear, by the crown of thorns. Look at verse 35. The Lord said to my Lord, set at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now that's a scary word, the word enemies. I don't know if you've ever had a genuine enemy, someone who was after you, someone who would do harm to you and your family. That's what that word enemy means. But those who are in sin are at odds with God. If you are living in your sins and you are not sacrificing, you are not giving up those sins, I want you to know that puts you at odds with God. And to be at odds with God means to be an enemy of God. Notice how strong the language is today. We're not talking about just, well, you know, I'm kind of passive as it relates to God. Yeah, I'm not against him, but I'm really not living for him either. I believe that when we choose that route, inadvertently, we are choosing to be an enemy of God. That is not okay. All were, who were of Israel, as the Bible says, were awaiting the Messiah. The sad reality is, is that Peter has to call him out and say, by the way, you missed it. You missed it. He has come. The Lord has come, who is both Lord and Christ, and you missed it. He's telling them in this sermon that they are on the wrong side of the spiritual equation. I want you to see in this verse, in verse 36, he says that 
Jesus, because of his resurrection life, has proven himself to be both Lord and Christ. I want to take just a moment and I want you to hear these terms because I think like so many of us, so many times in church, we hear these words again and again and again and we lose the power that's there. Lord and Christ. Why does Peter use these two terms? Well, because he wants us to see that Jesus is not just another prophet, not just another man. He is high and lifted up. The word Lord in the New Testament, in my view, most of the time when Peter or Paul use that word Lord, I think they have in the back of their mind the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh. Listen to it again. If we think of the verse in this way, notice this. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord, Yahweh, and Christ, Messiah. Jesus, I believe, represents Yahweh in the flesh. And what we have here is a reminder to the people of God, the children of Israel, that Yahweh has come. Look at this word Christ. We know that word. We, we are familiar with it. We know that it's the Hebrew idea of the Messiah. This is a key term in Luke's gospel, 12 times mentioned. In Acts, we find this word Christ 24 times. Almost every chapter has that word Messiah in it. God's word here preached through Peter is telling us that Jesus was Yahweh in the flesh, the Messiah of old, and crucified by his own people. That's a powerful message. I think we could even go as far to say that if ever there was fire and brimstone preaching, here it is. He tells a crowd of people, thousands of people, that they're enemies of God, that they have taken the Lord, Yahweh, Christ, the Messiah, and nailed him to a tree. That's pretty powerful preaching. What are you going to do with that kind of data? What did they do? Well, they heard. They were cut to the heart. What will you do? You see, Jesus died for your sins. Your sins put Jesus on the cross. I think this is where today modern people struggle with the gospel. They think, well, how can it be that one man who lived 2,000 years ago is able to suffer for six hours on one Friday, and that particular sacrifice, that suffering, which by the way, many people, if you study history, know, you know that many people in the history of the world have suffered, and many of them have suffered for what we would consider a just cause. What makes Jesus different? Well, let me tell you what's different about Jesus, where everybody else has suffered, and yet they have sinned, causing suffering. Jesus never sinned. He never caused suffering. He just took on suffering for us. He was the perfect Lamb of God who died for our sins. That's what makes him different. That's what makes him beautiful in a way that no one else ever has been. This morning, this song came to my mind, How Deep the Father's Love, by Stuart Townend, a writer of modern hymns. It was our sins that held him there until it was accomplished. And that there is the cross. It held him there. We need to realize there's an old Spanish proverb that says this, when you butcher a cow, the one who holds down the animal is as guilty as the one who holds the knife. 
I want you to realize that even though it was the Roman soldiers who did the actual nailing of Jesus' flesh into the cross, it is our sins that held him down. And he allowed that to happen for our sake. It is certain, notice this in the verse, it is certain, verse 36, that this Jesus, this Jesus is the Christ and Lord. Therefore, know for certain. Let me just ask you, do you know that you know? Are you certain that you have received the atoning sacrifice of Jesus for your sins? This cannot be left to chance. This must be a certitude, a certainty that you have Jesus. The gospel confronts us with the Savior who was pierced for our sins. That's where it starts. We have to. Right now, I'm praying that God will convict you. If you're here today and you are not a follower of Christ, I believe the Spirit of God right now is saying to you, yes, Jesus was nailed to that cross. That's not just history. That is, in this moment, a reality that he was pierced and nailed to that cross because of your sins. Now the question is, will your heart be punctured by that truth? The Savior was pierced, but your heart must be punctured. I think I made a mistake. About a year ago, I subscribed to Apple News. So what that means is, is every morning I read about 20 or 30 articles. I read fast. I'm reading through them. And every day I see or am reminded of how messed up the world is. Rarely is the news positive and good. There are some good things there. But I, I read it and try to stay up uh, with things because just because the world's a bad place, I, I need to understand it. We need to as a church to be able to, to interpret the signs and the symptoms of the culture so that we can share the gospel. But I look at that news and I realize that if I swim in those polluted waters long enough, I'm going to be drugged down. All these tragic stories of the day um, are, are there. But let me just say this. When we see negativity in the world today, don't get mad. Don't get political. Get serious about sharing the gospel. I just want to tell you, I know that politics has its place. I get that. But I think sometimes the church sounds like it's more worried about who's in the White House than who's on the white throne of judgment. Now, let me just tell you how we do things here. I know I've had some criticism about this. Why don't you talk more about this, talk about that? I don't have that much time. Peter, I guess, could preach as long as he wanted to. You people won't let me preach as long as I want to. So here's the deal. I'm going to tell you what matters. If I've got 20 minutes with my daughter, if I've got 20 minutes with my daughter, I'm going to make it the best 20 minutes I can. If I've got 20 minutes with you, I'm going to make it the best I can. I want you to hear about Jesus. Because you can get worked up about what's going on in the world, but only the Holy Spirit reminding you what Jesus did for you can puncture your heart. I'll tell you. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel warns about people who have hearts of stone. Who knew that he had met a Baptist? Come on now, think about it. So many times God is at work around us and we don't even seem to know it. Like the needle doesn't even move. How many times, and I, I, listen, I am, I am speaking to myself here. I've been in church as much as any 48-year-old. I'll tell you that right now. I got drugged, drugged to church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all the time. I've been in church pretty much my whole life, but I'm going to tell you, I haven't been in the presence of God in every one of those instances. 
How many times have we been cut to the heart by the gospel? How many times have we been moved by, a, by the music, by a prayer, by the word? How many times? Look here at verse 37, though. God was moving. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Let me tell you how I know God's at work here. You know God is at work when a person doesn't bark back when confronted with sin, but is broken instead. I'm telling you, if the Spirit's not at work and you start to feel conviction, here's what your mind is doing. You're starting to say to God, but this and but that. You're coming back at him saying, well, I know it's this, but I know someone else that's this. Listen, it's about you in this moment. God is speaking to you. Don't make excuses. Don't bark back at God, but be broken. Let the spirit move in your heart. We do not know how to be quiet before the Lord. When somebody tells us something, we're always trying to talk back and tell them what we think. Listen, that's fine if you're talking to me, but if God is talking to you, why don't you listen? The people here were listening to God and their hearts were pierced because that's what happens. The deepest level of conviction in the Bible is to be pierced, to be convicted like this. People know when that conviction comes that they are part of what verse 40 tells us is the crooked generation. They realize they need to be brought out. Now that phrase in verse 40, the crooked generation, that's where I was getting at a moment ago with the news. When we read the news, we are very much aware that the world we live in is crooked, that the path to God is very confusing and difficult. But if we are pierced to the heart, what happens is, is we realize that we no longer want to be part and partial to the crookedness. We want to go the way of God. That's what, it, that's what happens when your heart is punctured. You determine that it's time to go God's way instead of your way. But a deep puncture like this does lead to severe pain. It is not easy to come to terms with the fact that you have not been living for Jesus. When you are sitting here, even if you're sitting here with me every Sunday, but you realize that you have not felt the warmth and the fellowship of God in a long time, that's a hard thing to take. It's a hard thing to come down to the altar and say, Pastor, I've been worshiping for years, but I haven't been punctured for years. That's a hard thing to do. But if you believe that Jesus was pierced for your transgressions, it ain't that big a deal for you to admit that you've been punctured by the guilt of your sins. If he can take the nails, you can take these words. These words that I believe that God is bearing witness, that he's exhorting the people with. These are strong words, but hearts of stone need to be smacked around a little bit. And that's what happens when the spirit gets moving. And that leads us to this. There needs to be a response. I love this passage because in verse 38, it is so plain. When the question is asked, brothers, what shall we do? Peter does get down to business. It boils down to this. Uh, the three basic elements of a gospel response are repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says right there. That's not, that's not the Baptist denomination speaking. That's not the Assemblies of God denomination speaking. That's no denomination speaking. That's Peter speaking as a representative of Christ. 
We need to understand that when the gospel is proclaimed and we are punctured to the heart, we repent of our sins, we are baptized. And by the way, the word means immersion, but I don't want to start a denominational fight there, but it does mean immerse. And then we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, let's see what that looks like. What does that look like? I don't know. Because I think that being filled with the Holy Spirit is contextualized. I think it might look a little different than it might look down the road. But when it's God, we'll know. And just know this. That's why you have me and the elders. We're not going to allow things to get off the rails. We love Jesus. We love the word. We love the spirit. We love revival. And together we'll find it. I know people are worried that what's going on in the world today, oh, what if it's fake? What if it's false? Listen, I can't answer. I'm not the shepherd of the whole United States. I'm the shepherd at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. So when revival comes here, we'll know it and we'll foster it and we'll grow it. Don't worry about everybody else. Let's worry about God showing up in our place. God does the convicting and the saving. All we do is open the door of our hearts for these realities to transform us. Look at verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. I believe that the gospel is for every soul. It is offered to all people. But as we know, not all people will open their hearts. Salvation is in the name of Jesus Christ, and it makes it possible for us to be forgiven of our sins and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say something here. I don't think this is controversial, but I think it's very, very true, something we miss. Two things transpire at the moment of salvation. Now, many of you, if I were to ask if you are a follower of Christ, if you've been saved from your sins, you'd raise your hand. So listen to this. At the moment of our salvation, one thing happens dealing with our past. The other thing deals with our future. In terms of what the gospel does concerning our past, we have our sins forgiven. So at the moment of salvation, when we cry out for Jesus to save us, he forgives us of our sins. But in terms of what the gospel does for our future, at the moment of our salvation, are we not only forgiven for our sins, but now we have access to the power of the Holy Spirit, which makes it possible for us to live for Jesus amidst a crooked generation to overcome the temptations. Listen, when I read the newspaper, I know that the temptations are many and great. There is no way that Jeremy in the power of Jeremy can overcome those things. But if I have turned from my sins and I have received Jesus as my savior, I have the Holy Spirit empowering me through the crookedness. Sad thing is, is too many people that go to church on Sunday are with the crookedness Monday through Saturday. I believe a proper response turns a broken heart completely around from darkness to light, from death to life. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power that you can experience this morning when you repent, when you submit to baptism. Baptism is just an outward expression of an inward change. That's what it's talking about here. And then we can be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 38 uses aorist tense verbs, which just means it's happening in the second, in the moment. It's popping, it's happening. God's doing a great work. We need to repent, be saved. And then we need to spend the rest of our lives under conviction. We have one major turning point in our lives. That's the moment of salvation. That's the 180 of salvation. And then we have a lifetime of course corrections. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Think about this with me. 
Salvation is a moment in time where you go from death to life. That's the 180. That's the turnaround. But you and I know that as we live our lives in a crooked world, we are pulled away from the straight path and we go down that crooked path from time to time. So when we think about the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not just about running up and down the aisles. And uh, I've been in places where they ran up and down the backs of pews. Johnny has too. We've seen these things. And that's great, I guess. But what I'd rather see is every Sunday, all of us making those course corrections to get closer to Jesus. Every single Sunday. I'm here to tell you, it shouldn't just be once in a lifetime. It should be more. You should have more than one day when you say you encountered Christ. No, when you have Jesus, when the Spirit is at work, He is constantly convicting you. And that's not a bad thing. He's just getting you on the right path. He's trying to get a hold of you. So when was the last time you had a course correction? Many times, many times people will tell me the day that they were saved. They know the day, the place, the hour. But I bet that same person many times can't tell me the last time they recommitted, were redirected, got back on the right track. Forgiveness is a big deal. Your sins are a big deal. God is a big deal. He's wanting you to change. Let me just finish by saying this. The promise is for you and your children. Getting right with God today. We want to change the world. We need to have revival in our lives. Yes, it's for you, your family, and for generations to come. The gospel is for those who are near and far. God wants to do something big in your life. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Let me say again, God has unleashed a power in the world through his son and through the Holy Spirit where every soul, every soul can be saved. Our children and grandchildren need a way through the chaos of this world. They need a straight path through crooked times, as verse 40 reminds us. And I believe that's only going to happen when the gospel punctures our hearts punctures our consciences, and we begin to see God move like never before. Right. Let me just finish by saying this. As a historian, as a, I'm not an official historian, but a person who loves history, I can tell you that when we get to the end of this passage, you'll see verse 40, it says that he talked a little longer and said, you know, be delivered from this crooked generation. Verse 41 is where the historians start to quibble and doubt. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. First, people say, well, we don't even know if there could have been that many people in one place in Jerusalem in those days. Jerusalem may have only had a population in the tens of thousands, but during uh, busy times like the day of Pentecost, many, as many as half a million people could have filled that area. So having 3,000 people saved is possible. Another thing is, how does a group of people go from having 120 followers to 3,000 followers in one day? Well, that's pretty possible too because our God is big. Other people say, well, there's no way that, that many people could be baptized. Well, wouldn't you know that just in the last few months, they've done some excavation there in Jerusalem. And at the, at the pool of Siloam, they've discovered that it was 1.25 acres. And that there were, they say, the scholars say there were as many as 150 baptismal pools in the city of Jerusalem alone. Well, Baptist, let me tell you how that works. You can baptize 3,000 people in an acre and a quarter. So 
There's no problem with the history. The history matches up. And who cares about the history? Because God is the God of history. Let me just share this with you. Let me nerd out for just a moment, okay? So in the past 2,000 years, the church has seen some pretty big deals. For example, in England, during the days of the Wesleyan brothers, their Methodism grew from 22,000 followers to 518,000 followers in 80 years. That's a revival. In America, Methodism, now I'm, I'm bragging on my Methodist brothers, notice this. See how kind we are. Methodism spread faster in America and went from 14,000 followers to over a million in 60 years. It gets better. Listen to this. The Welsh Revival. If you ask me when was the last great movement in the Western world of the Spirit, I would say the Welsh Revival of 0405. 100,000 conversions took place in basically one year. 20,000 souls were saved in one five-week span between 04 and 05. And not to be macabre about it, but many of those young men died in the First World War. God saved a bunch of people who were soon to lose their lives on the field of battle. In 1907, one Korean church of five people grew to over 720,000 people in 40 years. Now, why do I mention this? I mention this because when God gets going, he is unstoppable. And so we don't need to question whether 3,000 people got saved because, to be honest, what I've shared with you from the past 2,000 years, that's a relatively small meeting compared to what God did in Korea. God does big things. When our hearts are punctured, when we are on fire for Jesus, there is nothing in the world that can stop us. We need to pray for a fresh season of revival. But before people are going to be saved... Many of our hearts must be punctured. Let me read it to you again. Verse 37, at the very end of the verse, the people in the pews cry out, brothers, what shall we do? Now, I want you to listen to this because this is what you have to do today as well. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that some of you in this room are saying, what, what am I supposed to do? Pastor, I hear you. I believe the Spirit is moving. What do I do? Well, you do what they did. And you come and surrender to Jesus. Let me tell you what surrender means. It means everything. Are you ready to give Jesus everything? This morning, one of my good friends in ministry put this quote of the great evangelist D.L. Moody. And I believed it was for me this morning. And I believe it's for you. D.L. Moody said, let Jesus have your life. He can do more with it than you can. Let that sink in for a minute. Let Jesus have your life. He can do more with it than you can. And if you feel the puncture of the Spirit in your heart, maybe it's time for you to be saved. Maybe you've been saved, but you've not followed in scriptural baptism. Then be baptized. And then all of us, every Sunday, we need to let the Spirit have full reign. For some of you, maybe that's a call to ministry. That phrase, let Jesus have your life, he can do more with it than you can. I think that is a call to every believer, but it is especially to those of you who have been struggling with the call of God in your life. There are pastors and missionaries and uh, leaders of nonprofits in this room, but you have said no 
One day after another after another. Stop saying no and let the Spirit fill you. Your life will be greater, better, more full if you give it to Jesus this morning. You see, these people were cut to the heart, punctured all the way down. Are you? Let's come. Let's be obedient. And let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.